Let's look in our Bibles this morning to the book of First Timothy to chapter 2. The book of First Timothy and in chapter 2, and I'd like for us to read verses 1 through verse 6. First Timothy chapter 2, and I began in verse 1. I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks, be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honest. And we'll pause there for just a moment. We're told that we are to pray for kings, for all that are in authority in verse 2. But notice what we are to pray for. We're not only told that we are to pray for those in authority, we're told very specifically what we are to pray for. Put it very plainly is that they would just leave us alone. That we as the saints of God, those who make up the churches of God, may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty without any interference from those in authority. Verse 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. We have an omniscient God, knows all things, an all-wise God, we know that he works all things after the counsel of his own will. And sometimes I'm amazed at that. I did not know what Brother Justice's subject was going to be in our Bible study. He did not know what my subject was going to be during this service, but how they go hand in hand. God just works those things out. God's able to direct our minds and our thoughts even as we study and make preparations to put these kind of things together. If you were not here for the Bible study, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Maybe you should have been here. But notice in verse 5, if you would, of our reading. It is a very familiar verse of scripture with us. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And our subject is Jesus Christ, our mediator. In this one short verse of scripture, verse 5, 
there are at least three basic things that are stated. Number one, there is one God. And I'll add only one. One God. There are many through the ages that have called themselves God. Many who have claimed deity as men. There are many that are looked upon as God. But they're all false. There's only one God. Hold your place there if you would. I want to read a couple of passages of scriptures. I'm going to Romans in chapter 3. Romans and in chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 29 and verse 30. Romans in chapter 3 verse 29. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. There's not a God for the Jews and a separate God for the Gentiles. There is one God. One God. The book of Ephesians and in chapter 4. In Ephesians and in chapter 4. Now read verse 5 and verse 6. Ephesians 4 beginning in, in verse, verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. One God. In our text, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 5, the second thing that is stated here is that there is one mediator between God and man. And as I said concerning there being only one God, I'll say also there is only one mediator between God and man. Now this totally destroys much of the teaching of the church of Rome. Mary is not a mediator. Departed saints are not mediators. Pope is not mediators. There is one mediator, only one, between God and man. Notice the third thing that is stated here, and it tells us who this mediator between God and man is. It is the man, Christ Jesus, and only him, only him. There's not another one God one mediator, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. I begin just by, with definitions. What is a mediator? How do we define a mediator? 
There's several words that are, are used to give us the definition of a, a mediator. And some of them might sound a little strange to you, but you might need to give it some thought. A mediator is a referee, an umpire to settle disputes. A mediator is an arbitrator. He is a, a go-between or a middleman. He is a reconciler to reconcile two opposing parties. In mediation, there are, are three parties, three groups. There is an offended party, there is the offending party, and then there is the mediator. You have to have the, at least that to have any type of mediation. When we look at the mediation in verse 5 of our text, the mediation is between God and man, and the mediator is the man, Christ Jesus. Keep in mind, he's the go-between. He's the one in the middle. Go back and hold your place here, but go with me to Genesis, if you would. To Genesis and in chapter 28. Genesis and, and in chapter 28. And I'm not going to read the entire context here. I'm going to read verse 10 through verse 12. Genesis chapter 28 and in verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. Jesus Christ is the antitype of Jacob's ladder. He is the go-between between heaven and earth. He is what connects men upon this earth, and almighty God in heaven. Again, this is a type, and Jesus Christ is the anti-type or the fulfillment of that type. If you think about this ladder that appeared in Jacob's dream, if you remove the ladder, there's nothing to connect heaven and earth. When you think of a mediator, the word mediator is not found in the Old Testament. But there is a, a word in the Old Testament that I want us to look at. It is the equivalent of the New Testament word mediator. Look in the book of Job, if you would, to chapter 9. The book of Job and and in chapter 9, 
And I want us to read verse 33. Job 9 and then verse 33. Job says, Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon both of us. Notice the word daysman. That is the equivalent of the New Testament word mediator. Notice concerning this daysman is betwixt us, between God and man. This daysman is able to lay his hand upon both. Job recognized the need of a daysman or a mediator. Look on further in the book of Job, if you would, to chapter 16, and here he seems to, to plead for such a daysman, such a mediator. In Job chapter 16 and in verse 21, he said, Oh, that one might plead for a, for a man with God as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. He recognized the need and he seemed to have this great desire for one between man and God. This daysman was required, as I said, to be one that is able to put his hand upon God and hand also upon man. Now here we find the need for that hypostatic union in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, both God and man, equal with God, equal with man, has the nature of God, has the nature of man, is able to lay his hand upon God and man. He is Emmanuel, God with us, but he is also, as our text states, the man, Christ Jesus. Again, he has the nature of God. He never relinquished that. One of the hymns says that he, he forsook all and emptied himself of everything but love. He never divested himself of that divine nature. The hymn writer was just wrong. It's just, just wrong. Always God and always man when he came into this earth. And it's important to understand here, when he came into this world, he did not uh, take upon himself another person. He did not assume another person, but another nature. If he had become another person in in addition to his person, you'd have two, therefore you'd have two mediators, which would contradict our text that there's only one mediator. And again, the role of a mediator must be able in the mediation to satisfy the needs of God the demands of God and the needs of man. 
He must be able to satisfy everything that God demands in divine justice. But he also must satisfy the needs of God's elect. That's the role of a mediator. He is the one that is to reconcile and make peace between the two parties. God has the demands in his holiness, in his law, in his justice. The great need of man is he cannot satisfy God on his own. So to bring these two parties together, you have the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. He brings reconciliation. I said one of the the meanings of the word mediator is a reconciler. He reconciles the two parties. He makes peace between the two parties. It is our mediator, the man Christ Jesus, that made peace between you and I and God. You remove Jesus Christ and his effectual work, there would never be peace between God and men. The mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think about the mediator, the need for a mediator, it is self-evident that it was sin that brought about the need for a mediator. If there were no sin, there would be no need for, for reconciliation. There would be no need for mediation between God and man. I mentioned just recently that before the fall of Adam, there was no need for a mediator. For there was no sin in the world to separate God and man or to put that, that divide between God and man. There was nothing before the fall to offend God. There was perfect peace. Before the fall of Adam, there was no offending party. But sin, the sin of Adam, as he represented the entirety of the human race, brought about this controversy between God and man. God does have a controversy with sinful man. There is a great divide between the two. And I'll say again, our first parents before the fall had perfect fellowship and communion with God. But sin destroyed all of that. Sin is an offense to God. The very moment that Adam sinned and rebelled against God, God was offended. He was offended. Adam had transgressed God's law. Men became sinners. And the holy God cannot have fellowship, communion with unholiness 
and sin. I'm going to read back in the Old Testament in the book of Habakkuk in chapter 1. Habakkuk and in chapter 1 and verse 13. Habakkuk 1 and in verse 13. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. I've stated on many occasions there's some things God cannot do. He cannot lie. He cannot deny himself. He cannot will himself out of existence. Here in Habakkuk chapter 1 and in verse 13 we're told something that God cannot do. It says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. If you would go back to the book of Psalms just a moment. To Psalm 22. That Psalm that gives us such a graphic description of the crucifixion and suffering of Christ. In Psalm 22 and in verse 1, you have words that Jesus quoted at the crucifixion. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring. What do you suppose is the answer to these questions? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? In my estimation, the answer is given in verse 3, but thou art holy. Thou art holy. God in his holiness cannot even look upon sin. He cannot have fellowship and communion with sin or sinners without that mediator between God and man. In the words of our text, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 5, the very fact that there is a mediator between God and man presupposes man's sinfulness and alienation from God because of sin. It just presupposes it. When you say there is a mediator between two parties, you know immediately there's a problem. You know immediately that one of those two parties has offended the other. Therefore, a mediator is brought in to settle the question. If you could take sin out of the equation, there'd be no need for this mediation or a mediator. If it was not for the matter of sin. 
Because if there were no sin, there'd be no alienation. There'd be no problem between the two parties. But as I think I said earlier, if you could take Jesus Christ out of the equation, none of us would ever have access to God. None of us would ever have peace with God. No one would ever be reconciled to God. Our text says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There are many things in the scripture which exposes the exceeding sinfulness of sin and man's natural alienation from God. All you have to do is look to Calvary, the suffering of Jesus Christ, but also his role as mediator. Again, just the very fact that there's a need for a mediator exposes the sinfulness of man. I don't think any of us here today or anywhere else fully understands the extent of sin. The extent of sin. It separated the human race from God. It just separated the whole human race from God. And the only way anyone will ever have access to God is through the mediation of Jesus Christ. Through the person of Jesus Christ. You remember his words in John chapter 14. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Remove that ladder that we saw, Jacob's ladder. Remove the ladder. No one has access to God. Remove the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw in the book of Job concerning the daysman and how that the daysman, the mediator, must be able to, to lay his hands upon both parties. And again, it shows his equality with God. By Jesus Christ's divinity, he is equal with God. He only became subject to God in the covenant relationship. God sent forth his son. The sender is always greater than the one sent. But that's only in covenant relationship. He's always God. And as the son of God, he is equal with God. But in his humanity, he is equal with you and I. And since he is equal with God and equal with man, he is able to lay his hand upon both and bring them together. Now in saying that, I'll say this. No one else could possibly qualify as a mediator between God and man. Mary, the mother of Jesus, cannot lay her hand upon God and upon man. No departed saint can. No one else can. 
There's just one mediator because only one qualifies. Only one qualifies. Jesus as the mediator between God and man. He has the, the interest of God at heart. But he also has the interest of his people at heart. And he, he cannot deny either of those interests. But somehow he must bring these together. He knows all of the, the demands of a holy God. He knows the desperate need of every sinner. And since sin is the problem, and never lose sight of that, sin is the problem. And the only way this mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, can solve the problem between God and man is to take sin out of the equation. Just take it away. If he can successfully remove sin, then he has brought the two parties together. There's nothing else to separate them. The great work of the Lord Jesus Christ is just taking sin out of the way. Taking sin out of the way. Unless sin is dealt with, There'll never be reconciliation between God and man. Again, this matter of sin is a, a great problem. But look in the book of Romans, if you would, and in chapter 5. Romans and in chapter 5. And notice verse 10. Romans 5 and then verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Notice that this reconciliation is not stated as a mere possibility, but as an established fact. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. By the work of the mediator. What did he do in this death that is spoken of in verse 10? What did he do? What did he do in and through his death to reconcile us to God. Go with me to the book of Hebrews and in chapter 9. Hebrews and in chapter 9, I'll begin reading in verse 24. Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but in the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. 
But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. What was the problem between God and man? Sin. Sin. That was the problem. That was the problem. Well, as the mediator, in order to reconcile us to God, he has to take care of the sin problem. So what did he do? In verse 26, he just put it away by the sacrifice of himself. The mediator between God and man, in order to reconcile man with God, just sacrificed himself. And in so doing, for all for whom he died, he just put sin, its penalty, and all that's associated with it away. He put it away. Again, that's what was separating us from, from God. Look in the book of Colossians in chapter 1. In the book of Colossians and in chapter 1, verse 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, he made peace. He made peace. Again, there was a, a, a large, great problem between God and man. It's a sin problem. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. Again, if you take away sin, and in doing so, you satisfy all the demands of God, all the demands of justice. You fulfill the need of fallen man and you're brought to God. Notice again, verse 21, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. The natural mind is at enmity with God. Enemies of God. It says, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. He did that in order that he might present you holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. He just put our sins away. He put them away by the sacrifice of himself. One more place I want to read here. It's Ephesians in chapter 2. 
Ephesians and in chapter 2. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were some, who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He brought the two together. He's successful in his mediation. He brought the two together by the blood of himself, by the blood of Christ. <coughs> Verse 14, for he is our peace. He is our peace. I don't know how to present what I have in my mind here. But when I think about a holy God and all of his demands in divine justice, and I think about you and I by nature as rebels against God, with minds at enmity between God, in and through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, between us and God now, there's peace. There's peace. There's peace. There's peace between us and God. Jesus Christ is our peace. He is the one between us and God. And he is our peace. The mediator of our text, this one mediator, reconciled us to God by paying our sin debt. What we owed. When the Bible says the wages of sin is death, you can be assured and mark it wherever you mark the truth. Those wages will be paid. They will be paid. They'll either be paid personally by the sinner, the offending party, or by the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be paid. He made peace by the blood of his cross. And now between those two parties, there's peace. In Jesus Christ. 